Kia ora, hi mai, and welcome to Pack Mentality, a New Zealand Malifaux podcast focused on competitive play for Weird's Malifaux 3rd edition. Today we are joined by your hosts, Mike, Brendan, and Hamish. Hey guys, Brendan here. Apologies for the quality of the microphone today. Uh, I'm not in my usual recording setup, uh, so the microphone may sound a bit like a fishbowl. Uh, thanks, Apple Products, for your fantastic uh, productions. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about uh, good uh, gaining ground three, uh, sort of having a rough overview of each of the strategies, how we feel about them, as well as exploring some underrated and overrated models uh, from each of our perspectives. Uh, this won't be limited just to the factions that we play, but things that we feel like were potentially better or worse in gaining ground three than uh, people sort of gave them credit for. So Hamish, I know that you actually have uh, some pretty strong opinions about the models in GG3. Uh, what was your underrated model and why? Uh, my underrated model comes uh, from the new title boxes, the corpse curator, the humble curator of the corpses. Um, I don't see enough chatter about this guy. I like him a lot. He fills a lot of niches that not many people really appreciate. For those at home that don't know, let me pull up his card real quick and I'll give you a quick rundown. He's a six stone model, six defense, four willpower, five move. But the thing that really gets him going is this model is a scrap of corpse marker. If it would remove this way, it instead suffers two irreducible damage. So that's his main piece that makes him different. He gets he fits into McMorning, but he also fits into stuff like uh, anything in Rezes that needs a GST target. Um, Grave Spirit Touch, Regen 2, Bonus Action, Blasphemous Ritual, Remove a Corpse Marker, Pulse Out Focus within 3. It has some other text on it, but that's for minions only, which is terrifying. Um, so that's the main thing that I like him for. Uh, but also, he has drag behind. Before this model moves, may choose a marker within two of it. it. Any marker, not just scheme or scrap marker. So this guy picks up anything. So the cute little interaction that he has with um, another underrated model of mine, the, the Hat Boys, they... And and when we refer to Hat Boys, we mean the uh, White Rabbit Company, I believe it's called. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, White, okay. White Rabbit Company. Mm. Sorry, the name oh. is the name also escaped me. I'm very prepared today. The Hat Boys basically give somebody a comfortable hat, and that model is treated as a scheme marker. So this guy can literally drag your other models around for the fun of it. But it's it's only for Big Hat or Rich Apple models. So you kind of are locked into that sort of thing. But if you're using them in Red Chapel and you put, for example, a hat on Seamus, you can now drag Seamus around like a little streamer. Pretty efficient and taxi. He's a very efficient taxi. And Seamus can treat him as a course marker for the purposes of his grunt of card ability, is that right? Yep. He is, a, yeah. he is a corpse marker for all intents and purposes. Or cause for celebration, that's a, yeah. That's a pretty spicy combo. That's got to feel pretty good as sort of like a safety mechanism for Seamus as well, because I, I know one of the things that can be quite scary about the Master Seamus is that if you get him stuck, he's kind of quite easy to put down uh, if you can get through his terrifying checks. So Koshkirita seems like it fills that slot quite nicely. But yeah, that's my thoughts and feelings on the guy. I find him to be a very underrated piece. He can score a research mission by himself. He can do a lot of stuff. So I I appreciate the lad. I bring him as much as possible in Seamus and McMorning and Reva even. I suppose then, Hamish, uh, Coach Curator is something that has definitely been on our radar. I know, Michael, you, you play a bit with the model. Um, what, what do you think then is the overrated model of uh, GG3 for you, Hamish? Uh, this may come as a shock to a lot of people, but the Kurgan, he is a serviceable model and he does what you need him to do. But I think people overrate what he does. And I see him all the time in Seeker and Swamp Fiend. Swamp Fiend a lot, I see him. Um, for those at home who don't know, 8 cost, 5 defense, 4 willpower, 5 move, size 4. Um, so the main thing that people bring him for is his Shifting Earth ability, which is when this model activates, it may choose another friendly model within three and place it anywhere within three of this model. So he kind of just 
starts literally shifting people around. He also has armor 2, 8 health. I don't think this model does enough. I find that every time I bring him, he does the first like shift around of like activate, shift a guy around, and then is either stuck because they've poorly placed him, or they do very little else with him. He is an efficient top hit, I'll give him that, but I've never felt that he is worth the points. I mean, eight stones for eight wounds is decent, and then you slap on armor too. I can see how even if you just looked him as an as a top hit, he can be frustrating to remove if your opponent doesn't have the anti-armor tech. The min and four. If and if it's in Seeker, I mean, there's a lot of healing, not to mention if it's Jed's a one, like when, you, when he dies, lol joke, he doesn't die. Yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't have like anything to protect himself from being ripped out. So he doesn't have planted roots. He doesn't have laugh off. He doesn't have any of that good spicy tech that we would appreciate from a tar pit model. So instead of you like walking up and being like, I'm going to sit here, he gets pushed aside. Literally pushed aside and just like, I'm going to ignore you now because you do nothing else now. So I find that he's a very easy piece to ignore. And yeah, yeah, two of the schemes really appreciate you just sitting there, but I find he just doesn't do enough. He also kind of blocks your own line of sight to your own models because he's a 50 mil height for model. So if you're trying to bubble up around Jids and keep your models safe, you've got a ginormous dude bro who your opponent can just push your models behind and then break line of sight. So that feels... Yeah. yeah, I think that feels pretty yikes. He can definitely work against you. Like, uh, the best I've seen with him is, like, the goo, the grave goo. Very nasty combo, yeah. Yeah, so, like, his other piece of tech is avalanche. Push the target up to five inches in any directions, ignoring models and terrain, uh, which is a good way to move your stuff around, but needs a five, so it's not terrible. But if that's all you're doing with your model, like, if he's out of position, he doesn't do enough by himself like in a crew he's fine right like you can pay for him but i I find that he is the most overrated interesting interesting call on the uh kurgan there mate i think that that's something that probably has not been particularly well discussed i I do think there is a certain lean to for a lot of players on sort of free movement and unpacks that um often i think gets overpaid for so all right, thanks for that, Hamish. So now let's move on to Michael's underrated model of GG3. What do you reckon, mate? My most underrated model shares a keyword with Hamish's most overrated model, and that is Seeker. I'm talking about the Yaksha, of course, but it's also versatile. Um, why do I rate the Yaksha? Uh, our faction, as explorers, has very few good generic minions. They're all very specific. They all have very specific roles. Uh, the only versatile minions we have are Hope of Prospects, um, which are not even significant, and are I, their stats are four across the board. They do nothing. Um, and then botanists. Botanists are excellent in specific keywords for specific roles. They're not really well-rounded models. A Yaksha, on the other hand, all it cares about is, is there severe? And if there is severe, this model's amazing. It's got planted roots, it's got hard to wound, it makes it super reliable, and it's hard for people to actually kill it if you position it well. Uh, it also has a tactical action, target heals one, as long as it's in severe terrain. You don't need to have any target number for that. It's a six inch range, which is quite forgiving. And when you heal it, you can move it two inches towards you. So you can use that offensively to pull enemies out of position without flipping any cards. Or you can heal your own models and pull them out to uh, protect them. It also basically has a leap that has no target number. Nature spirit, six inches place this model anywhere within range in base contact with severe terrain. If there's a decent smattering of severe terrain on the board, that is absolutely ridiculous. We often talk about how important it is to have a suited leap because hitting that suit is really, really relevant when you want the place. Imagine not even needing to flip a card to just get your place. And this is from a five stone model. So I've found this model really good in a number of different crews as just a nice... He has another dude, bro, who can do a thing. So I've played it in Anya. I've played it in McCabe a lot. It's really, it really likes being in a McCabe crew. I suppose as well, like the great thing about 
explorers society in general is that you actually have a surprisingly large number of ways to create uh severe terrain in general obviously with bass and cadmus and and all those those folks too so are there any uh, obviously key non-keyword synergies that you find they will fit in with the best style slot well enough i mean cadmus yeah. may be the the obvious one with your webs but i find you often using up the webs quite a lot uh Probably Frontier is a better example where you're actively trying to get those dust clouds out because they help you and hinder your opponent. And this guy can just jump around while healing your friends that are in them, some of which have survivalist as well. So that's kind of cute. So I don't mind that. But to be honest, I think when you hire this guy, it's mainly because the map is full of severe. That's when this guy becomes hype, in my opinion. His attack is also medium, um, Tangling Roots. It's the exact same attack that the Kurgan has, one stat less. But your cost three less, which is quite good. It's a two, three, four, which can target any model that's in the same piece of severe terrain as you are, ignoring line of sight and range. Again, just pressing that whole if this severe, this model is nuts. And it also has a a, a trigger enemy only to drop um, severe hazardous hungry landmarkers. So oh. the second ever model to get these friendly seeker models are unaffected by this marker. Obviously, the Yaksha is. A seeker model so even if he's your only model if he gets this trigger randomly it may only be stat five but if he hits this oh it's so obnoxious to deal with it's it's honestly just a horror show um so i really like the yaksha i think it's great i think you're going to see it more and more when the models are actually released currently they are they, they've been technically out for a while but i think in terms of shipments and such getting them out to everyone that's not happened yet so i think the more time that elapses we see this guy showing up more and more i think they're going to be fantastic same chronicle as the kurgan correct <laughs> pay three uh, stones left good model okay, so, and this yeah, one has, has planted this, roots has planted <laughs> roots has hard to it has the same chronicle exactly has every <laughs> problem with the kurgan solved or a solved immediately solved. <laughs> size <much>. two <laughs> I suppose then let's turn to a turbo dump. So what do you reckon is your overrated model of GG3, Michael? My overrated model of GG3 was one that when I saw this model, I was so excited about, and that is the ancient construct in the bygone keyword. When I saw Terry, I loved the look of Terry and every model in the keyword, but this was my favorite. I thought, what a cool model. You've got a nice big take-the-hit model. It's got Ruthless. That's super welcome in, in, in Explorers. Obviously, you only get it when you declare Terry as your leader because it is naturally an outcast model. Uh, but still, that, that's pretty nice. And then I looked at its tactical action where when you take the hit, you pull the model to you instead of you. I was like, wow, this is cool. Oh, it's got Toss as well. Wow, this is cool. Oh, it's basically got min three attack, like a three, four, six, if you build it in. Fantastic. The problem is he costs nine and he has seven wounds and he has move four and willpower four i have found playing this guy a few times there are so many things in the game which just dunk on this poor man like with move four it's hard to actually get him into position now he does have toss which you can use to help move your other models around but this is a nine stone model if your nine stone model is pushing up the matron to do her thing which by the way is a little bit less potent now since she was nerfed anyway I mean, that's 19 stones worth of commitment. It's a lot. You're paying for what you get. So if you're just using him for toss, or like that's a major part of what he does for you, it's not great, to be honest. And he's also only size 3, so he can't push around other size 3 models, like, for example, the Tidecaller at size 4, who can push around size 3 models. So this guy can't push around Kia, should you hire her. How does this guy stack up with the other nine cost things that you would like to take? Like, what are you taking over him to fill out that slot? Because I know you have Parson, well, Matron, that sort of thing. So, like, I if think you were to take something out, like, is that the, half the reason? Well, the big thing is when I looked at this guy, I was like, wow, he's cool. Look at all the shit he does. But you pay one stone more and you have an intrepid effigy, uh, emissary who has one more stat for everything and three more health. And has Phalanx. That's pretty good, because our faction really likes that shielded. He still has Take the Hit. He may ha only have Armor 1, but he's got three more wounds, which in my opinion is generally better. Um, he has Hard to Kill. There's just a lot that the Emissary has going on. The Emissary can seem like a boring model at times, and I think as the opponent, sometimes when you see it, it's like a sigh, like, ugh, 
defense seven. But there is a reason why people pick him so often because he really does encourage you to play squishy models and actually enable you to do that. This guy here has so many big defined weaknesses, the ancient construct that is. I think it's easy to just replace him with the emissary and move on with your life and be happy. And if you were playing an outcast, like, and you didn't have access to the emissary? If you're playing an outcast, this guy brings you your first toss, your first take the hit model. Uh, if you want those abilities, they, they, they're useful. But outcast already has things like herald as an upgrade. So if you really want to alpha strike people, Levy's already up there. So you don't necessarily hire this guy out of keyword anyway. Um, I struggle to see when you would hire this guy as a 10 stone minion with only 7 health out of keyword. I meant in keyword as a outcast Terry. In my opinion, outcasts, uh, when you play Terry and outcasts, your three best models are Hodgepodge Emissary, Rusty Alice, and Montresor. They just do a lot of things with both versions of Terry, depending which way you go, that I don't see how you fork out 9 stones for this guy. Because... Uh, Again, his toss with this guy only being size 3, he can't even push half those models. I'm pretty sure Montres is size 3. Size 3. He looks tall, so he should be. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so you can't push him. You can't push uh, the Emissary, because that's at least size 3. So it's like a lot of your good models, you can't push the business. You have Alice. <laughs> you got Alice. You could push Alice. But like, I would. the problem is, in Outcasts, rather than paying 9 stones... With this minion in keyword, I would rather pay 7 stones for a scavenger or Freikor engineer out of keyword because they do more to support the crew anyway. And that's, I think, the problem with outcasts in general. It's a good problem to have that you've got fantastic 6 stone minions that also have armor anyway. They do, I would say, more for most keywords. Maybe even more for bygone than this guy does, which is a bit sad. Um, he is still an option you can take if you really want to take the hit. If you think your opponent is going to alpha strike you, you might bring him. And he's not a bad model. I just think most of the time in Teal, I would rather take an Emissary, who has some other natural synergies with um, the bygone keyword anyway around the shielded. Um, and most of the time in Outcast, you just have so much crazy good, powerful stuff that it's hard to say that this is a great model. So those are my two picks. Underrated Yaksha, overrated Ancient Construct. Sound, sound, sound. Alrighty, so look, we're going to talk about my opinion for about 20 minutes, just because I think this is a reasonable take. So my underrated model uh, comes from the Savage keyword. Uh, it is the hench daddy himself, Thune. Um, look, with GG3 being basically go stand in a place, sit around and hope it's good, um, a lot of models really don't like to be buried. Um, I play one of the factions that has access to a decent amount of berry, and people hate it. Soon specifically is so, so good at burying people, and it's not. It's not put them in the box, because you have to do something. You have to take actual AP to get out. I think that the, the Ice Pillar is criminally underrated. He's got intuition. He sets himself up so well, and unlike a lot of Savage models, he's moved six. I actually think that there are combinations of crews, and this may be just by my interactions with Phil, but there are Plenty of crews where you can start with soon at or on the center line before he's activated on turn one, and he becomes just an absolute menace. And I think also, even if because he's a big model, you might think the ice pillars are going to get in your way, <laughs> he has shifting ice. As this model activates, you can just push a nearby ice pillar marker anyway. I think that goes a long way to alleviating that potential congestion issue. Um, and he's got a tactical action to yet push more ice pillars. So. <laughs> Definitely, I think that move six plays a part. I, I can definitely see that coming into play. I think the shifting ice is more to push away the frozen body of your enemy further away yeah, from your cool. opponent. Because it'll keep away, right? That's, that's more or less the sense that you get. Um, I, I suppose the only other thing is, like, it's also just got a fantastic damage rack. Obviously, Neverborn is ridden with really, really good severe damage tracks at that six with a lot of the Nephilim and, and those jams but 246 is nothing to shy at and I think that he's hitting a lot of really reasonable damage all by himself um, there's just a lot of meaningfully good triggers he's got a an almost never irrelevant uh, bonus action after sort of turn two and turn three and I just think that he's very very takeable in a lot of circumstances there's a lot of combinations with him that I really like 
um, out of keyword as well. I really like him in Neverborn Lucius. If you're playing in GG3, uh, you can bring the Mimic uh, and give him everything that you absolutely want to and just start throwing Ice Pillars at your opponents. It's really very strong. So uh, Doppelganger um, is, is the, a bunny. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, they're the doppelganger. Um, yep. Mimicking his uh, his attack at stat 7 just makes it so, so painful to do. And whilst the, the doppel is quite uh, squishy, uh, nothing better than just saying, no, you're an ice pillar instead of a functional model. It's really very nice. Um, I, I suppose to counteract what Hamish has said, I actually think that Thun is really, really nuts with the Kurgan as well. Um, just being able to pick him up and displace him by almost 8 inches before he's activated um is just so good you can pick him up after the the snake has made him incorporeal and then he's basically in position uh in any given game he's absolutely nuts uh difficult to put down and he's really just i think a very solid model instead of bringing kurgan out of keyword you could just point euripides at him right yep I, I don't know. I, for me, Master Little AP, I'm not super interested in seeing Thune being thrown around. It is often what you tend to see, but I think the Kurgan is an interesting out-of-keyword pick, uh, particularly through the mid-game when you have models that don't want to be stuck in uh, melee for terribly too long. I think the fact that this guy is also only a henchman with such a powerful effect, he might be the model you take out-of-keyword. You've mentioned Lucius already, where he may make an appearance. Um, we may have other models... I'm thinking maybe like a Zoraida who would be more inclined to take Kurgan anyway. Um, you just have a random Thune there. It's very dangerous. I mean, I, I suppose he kind of wants to see more Ice Pillars around, but I, I can just imagine the threat he provides. Because you don't need to have an Ice Pillar there. Like Mr. Mordrake with the Shadow Marker, you have to have that that sort of prep. He just does it. You, you just, as long as you've got the time in hand they become an ice pillar. For it to be removed, your opponents are going to need to usually take a walk action and then a slam. That's like the best trade they have. That's two AP gone. So like in a lot of crews where you're against like an elite crew, that's really sucks to have to rescue your model that way. If indeed you can even rescue it. He also has the savage thing where they can just use the top of your discard. So if you're just like, oh, there's a 13 of tomes. Nice. Thune will go. Intuition, see a shitty yeah. card on top or whatever to for the damage track and just be like, ping myself. It is it is really very good. I have I have been on the wrong end of a Thune many, many times. Oh. Thanks, William. Thanks, and Phil. And it is really it is honestly so punishing. Uh when it's played well, it can be really devastating to your game plan. Um look, there is a controversial opinion, I believe, coming now. Uh, my overrated model is actually a girl model. It doesn't have a keyword. It is a versatile. It is everyone's absolute favorite model, uh, the Guild Mage. So no flame, please. This model received so much hype uh, upon release. I think that this was probably the model from uh, Malifaux Burns that was the most hyped out of the Guild uh, stable. And it has, in my opinion, done the least out of any any massively hyped model in the in the faction um yes it has seen a nerf we don't really want to talk too much about that because it honestly hasn't changed the model by that much if at all it's probably made it a little bit better in some crews but i do think that it is considerably less toxic than than it perhaps could have been under different circumstances its bonus action is only uh six inches of range where it really doesn't want to be that far up in, in the the muck and the, the shtick of it. Um, and it's it's just so easy to put down. It really is. You have no idea how many times I've seen someone just slap it twice and it falls over dead before it has even an, a single opportunity to actually do anything meaningful. Um, I don't know. I, for me, it is seven soul stones. It is a minion. It, it benefits really, really well from Leadline Coat. But I certainly believe that there is more problematic stuff uh, in the faction. That rule of law, though, right? Like, that seems like the selling point. Because Guild doesn't have, as far as I'm aware, any other generic marker removal. Six-inch marker removal that also heals a mate. That seems uh, niche, but it seems welcome when you really want it or when you really need it. For example, there's an enemy Thune. Hey, this is great. <laughs> um, obviously, that's a very edge case, but... When you see something like a re recess mission or load a map or something, his stocks seem to increase. But that is 
somewhat niche, I guess. Um, I suppose the fact he's only got stat 5 on his main attack is a bit sad. So Yeah, I think you'd also find it really interesting how many ways Guild has to remove markers, either en masse or just as a targeted attack. Um, in one of the, in my opinion, underrated keywords of Guild, um, you have changelings uh, in Lucius. You have uh, Blow It to Hell in two very, very, well, one very takeable model and a, a crazy old man, but you you have a distinct number of ways to combat uh, a lot of the things that the Guild Mage wants to do in the same line, but they probably do it better and they achieve other actual things. I'm sorry, you're calling Riot Breakers good models? I think they're exceptional models. <laughs> I like them. But I've never seen them taken. I read it as a non-Guild player and be like, well, this is annoying, and just never see it. Oh, you know what? I'm actually uh, yeah. thinking of the, the the warden. Never mind. The right breaker. Um, oh, the warden on. boys. Yeah, the, I like the wardens as well. As well, I think riot breakers are exceptional models. Um, but I, I I just think that everything that the guild mage does, guild already has, and it doesn't do any one particular thing any much more intensely than a single other model does. Like for healing, it it sort of. We have orderlies, we have guild stewards, we have a large range of things which just by keyword proxy heal themselves. Uh, I just really think, obviously, the guild bench has overperformed in a single keyword in the faction uh, with Perdita, and that was by and large because of how good Perdita was rather than how good the guild mage was. Sure, but when that was going, it was brutal. I mean... I feel like some Perdita players took two guild mages because they were so ridiculous. That's a thing that can happen. Maybe we're happy that they're not at that level, though I do take your point with Perdita now not being what she used to be. Maybe that was enough. I mean, I certainly think so. I, I think that the model was definitely... It, it needed a, a touch, I think. Uh, probably not as much as it got, but that's for another conversation, I imagine. Alrighty, so look... I think now, let's have a quick rundown experience um, by Strat. Let's talk about how we feel about uh, each individual one, and we'll sort of, uh, I guess, just run down the list, eh? Um, so let's kick off with On A Rams, Carve A Path. Michael, do you want to run me through what Carve A Path is, what it do, and how you feel about it? Love it. Love me Carve A Path, yeah. It's so good. It's actually just Explorers love this strat. I was on the, the Rage Quit podcast somewhat recently, and uh, when it came to this one, I said it's my favorite because all our masters are bloody good at it. Some are just good at it, and some are stupidly good at it. Um, the main reason I'm a big fan of it, we don't have a super high damage uh, uh, faction, just generally speaking. This gives us an avenue to leverage an AP advantage with models like botanists and yaksha and similar things, uh, even operatives, for example, start to look pretty good here when you get those interact walk, interact, or interact push, interact kind of things going on. I really, really like the design that it removes markers. It adds another dynamic. If you're playing Titania, that may feel somewhat punishing. I feel that. Um, in my faction, if you're playing Jidza, you've got to watch out with your lamps, for example. But I just really like the mechanic of pushing at six, pushing the opponent's four, so you can't completely bully someone, but you do have options to sort of counter it, and then it removes markers. Um, specifically with botanists, you get to abuse the engine a little bit, where you can help to grow your botanists nice and early, provided you get a terrain marker down. Um, one of my favorites for this is a rough rider who just uses kick-up dust, gets a built-in reposition, so you're not losing movement. Then you get a free dust cloud, and you immediately interact to throw the carver path marker over it, and now you have a free grow token on all your botanists. So I'm a big fan, just generally. I really like the design. This is the one strat where things like chatty actually become good as well. I feel like this strat is really important to the overall balance of the format. And I feel like if you're playing a one-day event with just GG3, this strat must be in there. You can't omit this one and have the other three by themselves. Carver Path is super, super important to the overall balance, I think, of the format. Um, I really like it. And if we had this exact strat word for word in the next GG, I'd still be very happy with that. Um, 
that's how I feel about Carver Path and Explorers. Alrighty, so GG3, Carver Path, perfect strategy confirmed by Michael. Hamish, do you reflect that sentiment? Uh, yeah, I, I think Carver Path is a fantastic difference from the other members of the pool. Um, just sucks that my faction isn't as good as it is. <laughs> um, but I found my love of Karai playing Carver Path and just being like, oh, these are now over here, and so is my crew. Um, but it's one of the... Look, okay, I'm going to break this down real quick. I love Carver Path because it makes me play something different to what I usually would say. I play something different in Carver Path that I would in Guard the Stash and Covert Ops, which I think a GG should do. I don't think you should play the same crew and expect to do well in all of this. You can absolutely play what you want, but I'd, for example, uh, McMorning or Jack Daw, where they're kind of more, McMorning too, I might say, more deadly, but also have some very fast models. They can't interact. Jack Daw is very slow, but they don't like carve as much like unless you are bringing the fat bags of uh what are they called the um, fart goblins the, the fart goblins. goblins yes flying fart goblins yeah whereas like but they're easily picked off so it's like there are certain keywords that do not like the strat like um reva for example hates having her pious taken away from her hates it so uh, same with uh, Karis, but to a lesser extent, I guess. Um, so I find that the carve is absolutely what you should be wanting in a GG, where you want to play something. It rewards those who play a wider range of their stable. Because uh, I play like Karai into this. I play Molly into this. Uh, you can when when Yanlo was good, I played Yanlo into this, so it made me play the sort of like different to Stuck to Jackdaw to Castor. Castor can absolutely play this, but he is a lower tier, and that's my thoughts and feelings. I think I think I can definitely get behind that. I I I, I love Counterpass as a strategy. I think that there are obviously some issues with some factions uh, where they can't push it as well as others can and I think that that's just a general state of the game question rather than a problem with Carve but I think yeah from a guild perspective it is one of the few strats where you are able to sort of implement your factional strategy like as an overarching factional strategy um, of moving forward applying pressure uh, and establishing a solid threat base uh, as a as a general idea i think that that is something that carver pass lends itself very well to um and it it's definitely something that i think every faction has some amount of play in even if it's not as good um for competitive balance i think that like michael said it is so important to have in the packet um something that isn't just go stand in the same place every single game i think that is really really important to have so i definitely reflect that there are some uh, losers in this, but I, I think that it's really, really hard-pressed to find something that has absolutely zero play. Uh, next up, uh, on a tomes, uh, let's run through Guard the Stash. Uh, Hamish, you want to run through what the strategy Guard the Stash does, what it means, and uh, what are your thoughts on it in GG3? Guard the Stash. This is what we were talking about, and go stand in a place and hold it. Basically, how you score points is hold more than, and basically have more models than your opponent. So this is the, like, have the scoring AP and the ability to shift your opponent. Like, I like Card the Stash. I think it is... If Covert Ops was not in the pool as well, I think Guard the Stash would have been fucking perfect. Unfortunately, it shares a lot of table space with Covert. And uh, that's just the unfortunate thing. I think by itself, it would have been better um, if you'd just been like, hey, it's Carve, Cursed, and Guard, and X, right? I think we would have been had a much better pull. I think, unfortunately, two packets of stand in the same relative space is a bit yikes, to be honest with you. Like, it also 
doesn't i i feel i'm gonna prefix this by saying i feel that this does not run into the elite cruises as well like you're not running your elite cruise because if the cruise with seven models for example or eight models with one insignificant model you run out of scoring ap very quickly so the the stuck the the jack door they run out of models very quickly so I, this is where i have come into issues with the gg whereas the masters that i wish to play are the ones that i'm bringing into everything so i'm bringing Karaya into everything because she thinks she's serviceable on everything because she has the weight the the numbers the survivability the stackability the damage that sort of stuff whereas like Stuck has taken a back seat, but I love Stuck. Um, but his crew is very elite, unless you're bringing three necropunks and dot 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 crew. Yeah, I suppose it sounds like you're echoing a lot of the sentiment that that sort of seems to be going around about Garbage Stash, where it does feel like you are being rewarded very heavily for uh, removing significant amounts of your opponent's AP from the board. There is obviously a limitation to how many points you can score from this strategy. If you bring eight models and your opponent kills four of them, you can no longer score uh, maximum points from the strat more than likely. Uh, I think, uh, Michael, do you, sort of, do you sort of share this sentiment? I do. I think that a word Hamish used there around Kirai, serviceable, is how I would describe the strat. It's fine. It's not exciting. It's a bit boring, in my opinion. But it's fine if the scheme pool makes it interesting. I think that the experience for Guard the Stash between diagonal and standard deployments are very different as well. When you're playing on a, a diagonal deployment, you have five strat markers where you can actively score from and only one to defend, quote unquote, the one on probably near your deployment. Whereas if it's standard or wedge, uh, there's the two in the middle that you're fighting over with your opponent. And then there's two in their deployment zone or near enough to it. The two at your home ones, you can't score. So it's quite a different experience depending on what your uh, deployment zone is. Um, I would agree generally with what with what Hamish said. Um, I would mainly just say there's not much uh, nuance to this strat. It's just be within two inches and line of sight. The strat markers are height five, so you're always going to have line of sight. It's kind of like a bland canvas. It's not bad necessarily, but it's going to be more exciting when there's interesting schemes and deployments around it, rather than this being the game-defining strat, um, by which I mean... If you just play a solid game, you'll be fine with Guard the Stash. It's not really warping the game nearly as much as something like uh, Cursed uh, Objects. So if they'd changed it so you always had more to score off of, would you think it would have been better? Or do you think, only play this on corner or flank? I, I think occasionally when you play this on standard or wedge, it's fine if you don't do it too often. And again, it relies on the scheme pool being quite interesting and pushing you in different directions. I think if you had standard deployment or wedge deployment with this in the pool and leave your mark, it would be like too much. You know, it's just whoever holds the center wins the game, basically, because that's where all the points are and it's it's too linear. Um, you could play wedge or standard if you had a diverse scheme set, like maybe breakthrough, so you're actually encouraged to push through more um, and things like that. Maybe load them up. I don't know. Uh, that's my, my, my general thoughts on this one. I guess the only other thing is these are technically blocking. This can make it quite spicy for Secret Passage. Um, so I do like it from that perspective. I, I like my hucksters. And although Lucius trolls me, I like to see him run around and do his thing. So I do like that that's a little bit of extra functionality. Lucius will always have great options in this kind of strat, should you decide to pick him. Yes, yeah, speaking from personal experience, Lucius is fantastic on this. Uh, he obviously has a uh, pull uh, of six inches. It's like very, very playable, but anytime that there are five or more strategy markers on the table that are characteristic blocking, uh, they generally speaking will give secret passage models for grain of the entire board. There is probably not a single sideline that you could deny, even with any amount of terrain, um, that a secret passage model won't be able to get to. So it is something worth keeping in mind when you are putting it into a pool. It is very, very skewing for a very, very particular range of models. But my personal feeling, I actually really don't like Arbus Dash. I think it is by far the most uninteresting and most uninteractive uh, strategy that Weird has ever put into a packet. Um, obviously, like Hamish said, comparing it to something like Covert Ops, it just isn't as good as it. 
I, I think that it may have been perfectly serviceable if it had been by itself, but generally speaking, go stand in one place and uh, be a turret or be an absolute menace in melee is kind of like I don't I don't play 40k or AOS specifically for the reason that I like the dynamic and engaging gameplay that Malifaux brings, and I think that guard the stash is just exactly the opposite of that you're so heavily rewarded for removing your opponent's models from the board that it just doesn't really feel like you should be doing anything but that uh like michael said there are some interesting capabilities of the strat where if the scheme pool requires a lot of ap that for instance doesn't involve the center line i think there is a lot of play there but i think that those pools can get quite repetitive and can feel quite solved quite quickly so for me honestly I would be really, really happy to never see the strategy come up again. Um, in Michael's vein, I think that there are some amount of pools where you may want to see it. But in a tournament, if you had six rounds and I never saw Guard the Stash, I would be fine. You would you would not hear a peep out of me. I would rather see two of like two of each of the other three in GG3 than one Guard the Stash. I think that's probably a very polarizing opinion, but for sure, I think it is the right one. Um, next up, is covert operations. We've already spoken a little bit about this one, but it is uh, very, very similar. Um, covert operations, you dropping strategy markers um, across the center line, uh, only across the center line. They're high five blocking and impassable. Um, Arts deployment, every model gains a claim token, uh, which is just the token that they use to claim the covert operation marker. Uh, basically, uh, at the start of every turn after the first, you select three models in secret uh, that are your covert little secret super spies, and they are the ones who are tasked with standing within uh, two inches and being unengaged uh, at the end of the turn. And if at the end of the turn you reveal, remove the claim token, you put it on uh, the covert marker, and you have scored a point for that turn. Very, very standard stuff. Um, I really like this strategy. I think this is what Guard the Stash should have been. Um, like I said before, I, I just think that it is so much better because it rewards a lot of different elements of gameplay where someone like Michael plays this strat very, very patiently. He aims to remove a model so that he has good activation control and good pass token uh, usage. There are so many elements of this that reward you for going last or reward you for being very patient um, and bringing models that are sneakily or very deceptively fast or able to reposition at the drop of a hat. So things like Secret Passage or Leaps or what have you. Particularly, this strategy doesn't really require you to have any particular scheme pool, in my opinion, to be functional. Uh, you sort of have to pick and choose between your strategy and your scheme points in any given encounter just to really meet the requirements of, of, of scoring eight points without interacting with your opponent. So for me, it is probably one of the more balanced strategies. I, I think it is the second best strategy in GG3 and probably in my top five all time. So um, Hamish, what are your experiences with uh, COVID operations and what do you think? Hey, the admin. <laughs> Just going to put that out right there. I have played this in person quite a few times and every single time I'm like, ah, I have to write this down. And it, But that's a th first world problem, really. I I really like this. I like that it is within two and not engaged. It gives you a lot of play for stuff with deadly pursuit or uh, stuff that like rewards you just like pushing away from your opponent slightly or those little miniature movement tech pieces. Flip side, I, death to the uh, the elite crews that I love to play. <laughs> really has helped me develop outside of them, I think is what this GG has done. But yeah, I, I feel like this is a fantastic choice for anything that you put in. I do like the, the, the sort of nuance to it where you can be like, oh, I can just play the, like, I'll just hold the top, like, bottom two and work my way up and just fight my way across. And uh, there's a lot of ways you can go about this that I appreciate that isn't just stand and deliver. It was like, oh, I've got this bottom one. Well, now I have to work my way up. Or, like, I've got these middle two. How do I score the two outside flank ones where my opponent has set up? And I feel like it brings a lot more decision points and crew building decisions that 
I, I appreciate. Interesting, interesting. And and Michael, how do you like? I presume that you're probably in a similar boat uh, as as the two of us about that. For the most part, yes. I think this is a better strat than Gather Stash. Most people will agree. There are a lot of things to like about this strat. You guys have already touched on several of them. I really like that summon models actually have some value here because summoners have been not great for a long time. The fact that you can summon a significant model, it can't score the strat for you, but it can run around hugging people and annoying them and stopping them scoring the strat is super relevant because cursed objects hates on summoners so that's a strat you almost never see them uh and in guard the stash they are excluded so it feels like summons have a very limited place in this gg and in fact yeah summons can't interact with strat markers ever so in carve the path summons are like why so i really like the strat as the one place where summons have some extra value outside of i summon a model and hope to murder you with it so i really like that perspective so that's that's the first thing that i'd say i really like about it i also really like the mind games um not just in the mind games of which model did i i pick where you have those sort of nefarious um moments of trying to outwit your opponent but i also like how you have to be quite strategic with which ones you choose to capture at which stages there may be times um, when you, especially early on in the game, when you have the ability to score two different markers. On turn two, for example, you've got a model at each, and it's actually a decision point as to where do you want to be next turn, because if you're in position in the middle and you want to score that, it might be easier to not select that this turn so that next turn you'll still be there. But then there's the consideration, what if your opponent brings more models there? So then they'll be trying to deny it even harder. So I really like the fact you get that choice to make sometimes, especially if you're playing well and end of turn two, you're on like two markers to score with, you get to make a decision there. Um, I think to the point Hamish made earlier, you can work your way up one angle. You're going through all the markers one by one that way, perhaps. Or you could just run out with a random dude, bro, and grab it and be like, cool, we're good. The one thing I don't like about the strat is that pass tokens are already, I would say, a problem in the game to the point where things like Harrison had to be nerfed because they just gave you free pass tokens. And COVID Ops is just really rude for pass tokens. I think examples like Jin being way too good on this, Tara being really silly, Ma being with free pass tokens, just really obnoxious. They have so much control at the end of the game. And if you bring a orthodox kind of crew, which just wants to play a fair game and do its thing and score some schemes and score the strat and you don't have specific tech, then if your opponent has brought that specific tech, uh, I think it can sometimes lead to a little bit of a negative play experience where no matter what you do, your opponent will just say no at the end after you've done all your activations. And there's other ways you can do that. With Nexus, you can use Will of Cadmus to just prevent your opponent from ever scoring it while ensuring you score it you just save a few cards and it's, it's it's a thing it just happens so it has some problems i still think it's generally a good strat i still really enjoy it i think the fact that it helps summons makes it again super relevant to this packet and again i think in most three round events if you're playing gg3 this should be one of your three for sure i definitely definitely agree with that that's that just kind of has to be it i think that it is overall quite a well-rounded strand. I think that we're onto a good good spot with it. Um, I suppose, last one, uh, Cursed Objects. This is, for me, probably one of the worst strats Weird has ever produced. Uh, for for those interested, um, Cursed Objects is the killy, quote-unquote, strat of this GG. It is designed in such a way that after deployment, uh, players place curse tokens on opposing models, deploy models, until they've placed a total of five total. Uh, every turn after the first, if you kill a model with a curse token, you may choose to remove it before it dies and score a point. Uh, if you choose not to, it passes to the next closest enemy model. Um, you also can interact uh, if you have a curse token and you are unengaged by any other models. You can ignore the target's uh engagement range for the sake of this uh you can remove your curse token and give it to an enemy it's basically like hot potato with uh, a ticking time bomb basically for me uh the only other thing that really matters is that when a model is summoned uh the opposing player may place a curse token on it uh this like michael said makes summoners next to unviable uh almost impossible to play in the strategy 
For me, the big turn off is this is just considerably worse than most of the other Kelly strats uh, in all of GG's that Wed has ever produced. You've had things like Recover Evidence, which was actually so, so, so much better. This one provides a level of negative play experience that I think was probably unintentional uh, from Wed's position, where players can hire crews where it becomes impossible to score more than one or two points from the strategy. And that is pretty horrific, in my personal opinion. I think that is an absolute abomination. Shouldn't be in the game. What are your thoughts on the strategy in general, Michael? You've hit the nail on the head. Um, our good mate in Australia, Liam, who we have a lot of love and respect for, when he sees the strat, he hires Hamlin and 12 Malifaux rats, and then either like basically Nicks. unkillable models like Nyx, and maybe a Barbaros, or otherwise just says, cool, I won't hire anything else that you can score off. And yes, that's innovative list building. Kudos to him for that. You can build similar things with Nexus, or I know Nelly when she just hires a bunch of traps and hires like another master. It's just not great gameplay. The other thing that, outside of those really skew builds, which just deny you ever scoring it, the other thing it kind of promotes is just hiding and just standing around doing nothing. When I started this uh, season, I kind of liked it from the aspect that you can interact to give your opponent a curse token. That is maybe its only redeeming quality, but all too often what it devolves into is I hide my whole crew and then I try kill one model and then run away from you. Because as long as I've killed one model in the game, I'll win. And so it might sound like the Achilles strat, the experience that I've slowly come to realize and Maniacal Cackle <laughs> has toted since the beginning, he's been right the whole way, is it's actually probably the least Achilles strat because... You just want to play as defensive as you can and just not let your opponent ever meaningfully interact with your models. That's how you win the game. And so if you can stand around with either models that are insignificant so they don't give a shit and they're never going to give up their wicket, or you just stand behind a forest and hang out all day, that's not great game playing experience. Like, I don't find that engaging. I don't find that particularly fun. If both players showed up with a well-rounded crew, then you can have a fun game. But we're in the business of competitive Malifaux. If you show up with a well-rounded crew and your opponent shows up with a denial-based crew meant to literally not let you score, it's unlikely you will enjoy that game. Um, in fact, I think in the recent event we had um, here at New Zealand Nationals, if I'm not mistaken, having overheard Liam, who was the, uh, the Hamlin player I was just referring to, and his brother, who was playing Neverborn, I think they both agreed his brother played perfectly and still lost by a point because he could never catch up and he could never actually win the game. And I think when you have the ability to play a perfect game and still have no option to actually win, I think that's really not a great gameplay experience. And so that, I would say, is my big qualm with Cursed Objects. Uh, I really struggle to enjoy it. Um, for sure. I think that's a completely valid opinion. I think that it's obviously we, we come from the competitive lens of Malifaux and I think that it's important that we recognize that. But I, I don't think that gameplay has to be boring or unengaging just for the sake of competitive play. I think that there are ways to build the game and, and build strategies that don't do that. And I think it, this strat could have been saved by a simple wording change for sure. Hamish, what do you what do you think about first uh, objects are you in the same boat as michael and myself oh 100 mate i when i first read it when it first came out i was like oh hey it's um uh public enemies but with an extra step right i thought it was going to be the public enemies one where you'd like collect bounty tokens or whatever uh and cash them in and i was like oh that's that's fine like that was a fine strat it was okay it was good for murder it rewarded that sort of stuff. But then as I played against Cackle specifically, I love you, Cackle, but you're a piece of shit. Um, and he played Keep Away the entire time. And I was like, this is awful and I hate it. <laughs> Where I'm just like, I nothing am doing... Nothing like good friends to reduce. Like... Yeah, no, nothing like good enemies. Uh, but yeah, I played against the more competitive side of it and I was like, oh, I could... People just want to give me this and then play the 
the Mantle Flow World Series rounds where they're just rewarded for doing so. Um, I think Hamlin was pretty egregious uh, because his rats, when they started to swarm together, were pretty rude. And he could still reliably kill opponents, even though he had two significant models. I found that as we've gone on, I've hated this strat more and more and more. And I'm just like, there's nothing in Resins that can really do that style of gameplay. Like, I can run five zombies, but like Seamus five zombies go. But that's not my style. I don't, I don't enjoy it at all. And I think that's the thing about this strategy is that it definitely, I think it requires you to be okay with playing a game that doesn't really feel like Malifaux. I also forgot to add, I really dislike how this and From the Shadows is kind of bullshit, where if you have From the Shadows, your opponent just cannot place the markers on you. And so you might just decide to bring like a December Accolade or your Krulligan and Krulligans. And you just say, I'll From the Shadows into my own deployment. Sorry, mate, you just don't get to deploy your curse token. So you might still end up with crews that end up with only like two curse tokens that start on the enemy crew, but then you still have a bunch of models that are available there that you can um you know use throughout the rest of the game. And I'm not really a fan of that. Um I think maybe one of the most egregious examples is the Frycourse Scout. Now luckily this guy doesn't normally show up and dominate games. But he is minion three with From the Shadows, and he's got a 24-inch gun. Um, oh, they're not true snipers. Never mind. Only a 14-inch gun. <laughs> um, so oh, yeah. only 14 inches with critical strike. Um, so you could hire three of these guys in a Von Shield crew, which is already like tough as nails. Nothing ever dies. These guys won't have a cursed token on them. They have a 14-inch gun with which to bully you. They ignore friendly fire, concealment, and cover. It just doesn't make it particularly unengage, like engaging gameplay. So I also dislike how From the Shadows can really abuse the strat as well. Mm, for sure. I think, last little bit of commentary, how do we feel GG3 has ranked uh, against other GGs? Do we feel like as a, overall it was a, a successful GG? Do we feel like there was meaningful gameplay? What do we think? Solid C+. I think two out of four ain't bad, Scooby. Uh, but we'll give it another try. For sure, for sure. And Michael? Um, I mean, I'm just looking at presently just going through the, the GGs right now. I think when I compare GG, effectively GG 0, 1, 2, and 3, um, GG 2 was by far and away my favorite. Not even a question. GG 1 had some moments, but probably with Corrupted Idols there was always not going to be great. <laughs> I think GG3 is like mid. Like, it's fine. When it came out, you were excited about it for four months, and then you realize there's so many problems with it that it's got some playable stuff, but it's not great. I think if I were to sum up the GG3 experience, it's you need a good TO to construct good balanced pools with it, because if you just randomize GG3, maybe a quarter of every game you play is actually awful. And I don't mean awful like you will have no fun, but it's like you will end up with an instance where the only feasible way you can score is if you build an uninteractive list. And again, we're talking from a purely competitive, I'm looking to podium kind of perspective. You can have a pickup game on Cursed Objects and really enjoy the night. That's fine. But if it's round five or round four of a really important tournament and you want to win, you probably are hiring 12 Malifaux rats with 10 Soulstone cash on Hamlin and laughing all the way to the bank. And so I think from that perspective, it's really important that the, the tournament organizer who's throwing together your event sort of balances it out when you're using GG3. That's that's how I would say uh, I feel about it. For sure. And I think that we've been relatively blessed in New Zealand, at least, with TOs being very, very in touch with that idea. Uh, we've had a, a few really good Cursed Objects pools, but... I think that widely, yeah, you're you're not wrong. There are some GG3 pools that just feel atrocious. Bearing in mind, obviously, we've been playing GG3 for absolute donkeys, and we've been playing probably a higher volume of games than the average person. So a lot of this starts to feel a little bit monotonous uh, over time and, and sort of blurring the lines between each game does happen uh, through GG fatigue. But 
I think generally speaking from the competitive standpoint, there is just less going on than in probably the best GG, which is, in my opinion, still GG2. Um, and overall, I think that we can look forward to some better and brighter futures, hopefully with GG4 coming out, hopefully very soon. I don't think that we've got a uh, release date live on anything just yet, but definitely for sure looking forward to some changes. Um, all right, does anyone, have else, uh, anyone else have any dying comments before we move on? I just I, I find it interesting you also like GG2 because it has symbols of authority, which I know you hate. So I just find that very interesting. But yeah, uh, look, GG2 is, is a life. GG2 is love. Symbols is whatever. I think that you have to accept sometimes that your faction doesn't have answers to every question. Don't get me wrong. I think symbols is a terrible strategy. But I think that having a terrible strategy for one faction, uh, maybe one or two factions in any packet is kind of acceptable. I don't think that any one faction should be able to competently do all four uh, just because they turned up. I, I think that it's totally fine. But yeah, look, well, thank you guys for your chatter today. I'm really looking forward to some upcoming episodes. Uh, so keep your ears and eyes posted for it. Uh, and until next time, we'll uh, see you. See you later. Yeah. Laters, my dudes. Composure, people. We're professionals. Okay. Now you have to cut this out, you fuckwit. By you, he means me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>